they just get treated like everyone else. And that's what people want. People want to be treated just like a typical human being. You know, it doesn't matter what your abilities are. Mm -hmm. Just want to be loved. Mm -hmm. And they are always loved there. You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact, small towns have a big heart, and small businesses play a big role in our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well-lived, being small-minded. Hello there, listener. Welcome back to our episode this week of the Small Minded Podcast. So in today's episode, we are continuing our March series of interviewing just some really badass women who I have the privilege of knowing. And today, our guest is no different. So on the surface level, today's guest is my sister-in-law, Amanda. And I love her dearly. She is so awesome. And I love her because she's my husband's sister, but she's so much more than that. She's someone who has always been an inspiration to me because she's, you know, older and wiser than I am. She has multiple businesses that she runs. She is an accountant, a CPA. So like for all of the things that I fall short in, Amanda is definitely that person who I can go to and ask questions. She helps me with QuickBooks. She helps me understand why I have to fill out so many freaking forms to bring somebody on my team and where those forms need to go. And I always seek out her advice as being someone I trust. Um, she's been through a lot in her life. And as you'll hear in just part of her story today, I really admire her not just because she's gone through so much and has come out this side of it. It's because she is someone who doesn't just accept the way that things are. She digs in, she learns, and then she takes action so that things can be better for people who walk the path after her. And in today's story, we intended to go through a whole bunch of things, but we end up just focusing on one part of Amanda's life, which is how her family was touched with a genetic disorder called spinal muscular atrophy, or SMA through um, the life of her son, Colin. And we talk about the changes that have happened for kids who are diagnosed with SMA in 2022 versus when Colin was diagnosed back in 2009. And we talk about how Amanda's efforts and the fundraising and tenacity and research and advocating and all of the things that she has done have really helped kids and families with SMA. And there's so much more to tell. We'll bring Amanda back for a part two, but at least for this episode purpose, we're going to talk about how the love of a mother and the bravery and courage of an advocate have made the difference for a whole bunch of people. So without getting too sappy, and beware, we do cry in the episode, so have some Kleenex ready. Without further ado, I introduce my sister-in-law and one of the most badass women I know, Amanda Schlemmy. 
listener, we've got a hell of an April coming up. (laughs) So after much consideration and evaluation here at Molly Knuth Media, we have decided to create two unique offers for business owners looking for support going into quarter two of 2022. First up is Social School. This is for the business owner who is looking for marketing assistance and education. For the month of April, we're going to focus on simple storytelling in your Facebook and Instagram stories. And with our Social School version 2.0 program, you are going to get one week of short daily trainings dropped in your inbox so you can quickly consume and implement those instructions. We're talking less than 10-minute videos so that it's easy to digest and put into action for you. In addition, you're going to get 100 story starters so you can plug and play these ideas into your own plan, Canva template packs so you can create, brand, and schedule stories to your own accounts, and a monthly Q&A session with Molly. We are focusing on keeping you accountable and establishing those habits of showing up in your stories and really building that no-like trust with your audience. And in addition, three people are going to go home with cash prizes if they stay accountable through the month, with the grand prize winner taking home $222 in cash. For real. So that's social school for the month of April over at mollykanuthmedia.com slash shop. Look for social school. Now, for the business owner looking for more than just marketing education and accountability, for that business owner who is in years two through seven looking to grow find her circle of people, elevate her business, turn it from a startup into a sustainable, long-lasting business, we're bringing in something entirely new with our MKM Business School. We are focusing on holistic life, work, and business balance. Each month, we're going to start off with a guest professor bringing us education on a focused topic, something like finding your why in business or business productivity. Then, We're going to bring in two guest experts or adjunct professors to host office hours throughout the month. So it might be that we bring in an HR professional to answer your hiring questions or an attorney to answer your legal questions. In addition, you're going to get a monthly hot seat session. You'll get first access to our MKM video training library, first access to our MKM business service provider directory. And if you sign up for three months of MKM business school, you'll also get a bonus one-on-one 60-minute coaching session with me, Molly, so we can talk about your specific needs and make a plan and a strategy around it. Now, both of those options, social school and business school, there are more details and the link to sign up for the program that is your best fit over at mollyknuthmedia.com slash shop. That's mollyknuthmedia.com slash shop for MKM social school and business school in April. Welcome, Amanda, to the podcast. Thanks for being here today. Glad to be here. Yay. Um, so for the listeners, Amanda is my like Swiss Army knife, jack of all trades, can do all the things. Sister-in-law, we work together on various things. My accountant, and I just love you. And so I'm so excited to have you here. Well, I love you too. Um, I wanted to have Amanda in for this series this month of March because it's National Women's History Month and I'm making every episode this month a woman that I think is just awesome and I admire. So I'm so glad to have you here to talk about a ton of different things. Um and I think everybody's gonna love it. We will see. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why don't you go ahead, introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about who you are and a little about what you do. Okay. 
<laughs> That's such um, a big ask. It is a big ask because it depends on what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm Amanda Schlemming, a wife to Travis, mom of two boys, Eli and Colin, and um, work, you know, day to day. I work with my family. Um, we farm and I do all of the office work, I would guess I would say. The accounting, the bookkeeping. Accounting, bookkeeping, um, HR, uh, marketing, as far as the actual commodities, I, I don't know, a lot of things. Um, <laughs> and then my husband and I, as well as my in-laws, own Two Gingers Tavern and Eatery in Cascade, which we've owned for five years now. And, you know, otherwise I really just chase my kids around and volunteer and, I don't know. What else? What else am I missing? A lot of stuff, but we'll dig into each of them. One of the things I love about you is that like, there's just so many different parts of your story that I think are really cool. Cause yeah, like you said, you work in agriculture on the day to day, but you used to work with like Deloitte Mm -hmm. and have like this amazing career. You do have an amazing career. I'm not saying that like with Deloitte. Yeah. It's totally different. It's just, yeah, very different worlds. Mm -hmm. And like you alluded to with your volunteerism and fundraising and being an advocate for your children. And I'm just so excited to talk about it. So thank you for introducing yourself. So we alluded to working with Deloitte. So you're originally from where you live now, Cascade, Iowa, but you, after college, moved up to the Twin Cities. Can you talk a little bit about why you moved that? way how you landed that job and your time up there so when I was in college I was in I went to school for accounting I'm a CPA and I was with Travis at the time too and we just talked about we didn't I mean I didn't really know what I wanted to do exactly after I graduated um but as it got closer he and I talked about kind of maybe where we wanted to be and maybe we want to move away for a while and so it turned out that through recruiting at UNI, I talked to the big four firms or what they're called in the accounting world. And I interviewed with them and I ended up um, doing a summer program with Deloitte in the Twin Cities, which wasn't necessarily where I thought we would end up exactly. It just kind of worked out. I really liked the people there. And, you know, as I spent more time visiting the city, I really liked it. So that was about a year before I graduated, and then I decided to take a job there. So then that following August of 20, or no, not 20, 2005, yeah, um, I moved to the Twin Cities and started there in that September, and I worked there for five years, which if any of you know what public accounting is, that can be a really long time. It's it's wonderful. It's a wonderful experience and you get to see so many things and meet so many people, but it can be a lot and it's very much of a commitment. So I did love it there. But then when, um, you know, as I got five years in the meantime, we had both of our boys and I decided that I kind of wanted to make a change. So then I went to Capella University, which is a publicly traded company as well. And I worked in their reporting, like external reporting. So I put together their financials and I was there for not that long, six, eight months. And then we had the opportunity to move back to Cascade, which 
we decided was a good opportunity for us for more personal reasons, which we can talk about in, you know, in a little bit la- later on. But um, so we moved back here and I actually continued to work for Capella for quite a few months after that locally here and then kind of slowly transitioned into working for the farm. So it was a little bit of a slow transition. You know, it took probably six months or so before I was done with everything in Minneapolis and then started working 100% for the farm here. So I kind of forgot that you worked for Capella while you Mm -hmm. lived back here. Well, it was a short, I mean, it wasn't a long time, you know, Mm -hmm. now looking at it it was like barely existed, it seems like, (laughs) but you know, it was a big deal at the time because I had not been there all that long and I really did like it there, but yeah, it was just different. And then I went from working in downtown Minneapolis every single day, dressing up, wearing heels, and I moved back here and I wear jeans and, you know, casual clothes every day. And now I don't even own dress clothes, really, (laughs) except for when I go to a wedding. It's funny how things change. Oh my gosh. I, yeah, I remember going up to your house in Richfield and like, you had so many beautiful, like Banana Republic. Clothes. I know. Oh. It's my favorite. <laughs> and I, I think too, you know, when I was pregnant with both, both of the boys, I, you know, dressed up every day, wore heels when I was nine months pregnant. It didn't face oh. me at all. And now I wear them for two hours and my feet are blowing up. <laughs> I don't understand how things change, but it's interesting. So well, we get used to. Yeah. <laughs> so when you moved from Cascade to Minneapolis, was there, I guess it wasn't directly. So it was from like Cascade to Cedar Falls for school, then Cedar yep. Falls to mm-hmm. Minneapolis. Was there like a culture shock or was there like a transition into life in that bigger town or more population? Did you notice anything? Oh, absolutely. I mean, it was going from somewhere, even though I was in Cedar Falls for school you know, I was still in Cascade enough and it was still, you know, home. It always was home, but where I knew people and uh, then we moved there and it took quite a while to get used to not knowing so many people. I mean, we didn't know that many people when we first moved there. Mm -hmm. You know, we got to know people through work and other things, but um, yeah, it was very different. You didn't always have like somebody to call would help do something even little, you know, it was just very different, but it was good. There was all sorts of new things. I mean, we could go to anywhere we wanted to eat was 10 minutes, you know, within, Mm -hmm. well, up the street when we first moved there Mm -hmm. where we lived like near downtown and, you know, just conveniences in that regard, you know, it's just, it's just different. It's not bad or good. It was just different. But we really got to love it there. I honestly, we kind of thought after four or five years, we didn't know if we would move back here. You know, it got to feel, it got to feel like home. Home was always Cascade and it always would have been for us, but we were so comfortable there and we had some really good friends that, you know, we just didn't know if career wise and family wise, if it would, what made sense for us to be to come back home eventually, which was a big shift because when we first moved there, it was like, oh, we'll stay there for a couple of years and then move. But we just, we got comfortable and we liked it. Mm-hmm. And it, you alluded to the friends that you made, but like, yeah, you guys had like 
in that short amount of time, you guys made like a really close circle of friends and you had great neighbors and childcare, which yes. like you said in, at the beginning was hard to like establish those things. But after like a little bit of time, you guys, I think it's interesting to say like, then your relationships with those people became so close that you're like reconsidering your original plan. That's yes. so cool. Yes, absolutely. We had one couple, our friends that it was like moving from them was horrible. It was like leaving our family when we moved there. Mm-hmm. You know, it was, it's just, you get that way because you don't have your other, you know, you don't have your family or your really close friends from growing up. They're just not there physically. Mm-hmm. So, and then just your friends became those people that yes. you would call when yes. you needed. Yeah. Like we you we were there kid. for each other to help out with anything like that. Yeah. And I love that those guys, like you guys are still in touch with them and yeah. see them from time to time. Yes. Not as often not as enough, like, but, but yes. Uh, yes. So we talk about like living up there in Minneapolis. You loved it. Let's talk a little bit about like your role as a public accountant. So what were some of the things that you loved about that position? And then what were some of those struggles that you mentioned earlier in that position? Well, one of the best things about that job was what you got to see because I got to go into a lot of different businesses and all kinds of different industries. And you didn't just learn about how their books were kept. It was, you had to understand their processes and how they did things. And, you know, if you are someone that's worked in the same industry forever, you don't necessarily understand or think about really how every single industry or type of business is so different. You know, if you're in manufacturing, it's one way. If you're in agriculture, it's another. If you're in utilities, is a totally, it's just totally different. And it was really interesting to learn a lot, you know, from a lot of different places. And just in a general sense, you know, that was great. I also loved it because when I started there, I started with 40 people that had just graduated college. So you had this immediate group of people that were doing the same thing you were doing and going through the same thing, you know, dealing with the same managers and the same, you know, the same struggles and successes, you know, so that was really great. And that's part of the reason also that we got to really like it there is because I met people immediately at work that you can, you know, relate to and connect with. So, but it is a very, um, time consuming job, which a lot of jobs are, but it was very much. And so then when we had kids and there's also a lot of times, a lot of travel, which was never, that was not my favorite thing. But, you know, once we had our kids, it was just, it made it out of charter. And Mm -hmm. I mean, people do it all the time. There's plenty of people that have children that still work there and become partner and whatever. But it just makes you think about which, you know, what do you want? Mm -hmm. And As I got to be, you know, farther up in, you know, I was just, I left there just before making manager. It was just making a decision that, you know, this is not the path I want to take. I want to go to an organization instead of this path. So anyway. I think it's a great experience that you can draw from. Like you said, seeing all those different ways that businesses were run, it really has an impact on, I would assume like how you run your businesses that you're involved with today, because you're able to like see the cool things that they were doing over here in this sector 
and then you can bring it all together and inform yourself going forward. It was also maybe sometimes during the middle of it, didn't feel like it, but we got to working with all these different clients. You work with all the different personalities and mm-hmm. you had to learn, you know, they're your clients you had to learn how to work with them, not, or listen to them or, you know, connect with them in a different way and everyone's different. And that was, that was another thing that was a really good teaching experience to me because, you know, you leave college, you don't know a lot of that, you know, those aren't things you learn. I think that's so important. I'm glad you brought that up because you're almost like in customer service too, because you want your client to be happy. You want to know how to meet their needs and expectations, but I do feel that sometimes in the way kids are educated, like if you think you're going into business, like you think you're going to do the marketing or you think you're going to do the bookkeeping or the whatever you went and got in your degree. But there are all of these interpersonal relationships that if you have an HR degree, you know that you're going to be working with people, but you're still going to be interacting with people when you're in the accounting department or sitting at the front desk or whatever. You have to know how to work with all of these different personalities so that you can be productive and advance through the company. Yeah, that's true. And, you know, you go to school, no matter how long you go to school, you might think, I know, I know all there is to know about. I know all there is to know about accounting. I'm passing, I passed the CPA exam. You don't have a clue. Don't you wish sometimes <laughs> you could go back and be like, when I was like 25 years old, I was so confident that I knew. I know. <laughs> now I'm like, Turns the older I, I get. The more I'm like, I know nothing. Yeah, I mean, What's I know happening? the basics, but that was it. Right. You, know, you don't learn a lot of that, and and you're not going to in school. You learn that in real life. Mm-hmm. Not that school isn't real life, but, you know, it's just different. It's totally different. Yeah, you think when you graduate that it's like, okay, you're ready. But that was just, like, the first step. Like, we've laid the foundation, mm-hmm. and now you got to go, like, build the other three-fourths of the house. Exactly. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's a good foundation. Yeah. And I'm sure we'll talk about that throughout the rest of the interview at times too. So, okay. When you guys were up in Minnesota, you liked it there. You had made friends. You were both doing pretty well in your careers. What was the turning point? I mean, obviously I know, but like for the listener, what was that thing that happened that prompted you guys to say, okay, we do want to go back home. We want to move closer to family. What was behind that decision? So... Our second son, Colin, was born in April of 2009, and in July of 2010, after quite a few months of him not meeting milestones and just some concerns, we finally went to a neurologist, which our pediatrician um, had referred us to, Uh, and Colin had never, he had rolled over a couple times, but he didn't bear any weight on his legs, He, he never crawled, he didn't, obviously didn't walk. And he was, you know, 15 months old by that point. So it was starting to get a little concerning. So in July, we went to a neurologist and we had our initial appointment. And of course, he, this neurologist was, you know, I'm not concerned. My son didn't walk until he was 18 months old. He otherwise looks healthy, but I'm going to do some blood work. We said, okay. And we went two weeks later for our follow-up appointment and it was early in the morning we made it before work because we were going to go to the appointment we had both the boys with us and uh we went it was at 7 30 i want to say and we went and the doctor walked in and he looked like he got hit by a truck mm. and 
I knew immediately, like, something's really, you know, I didn't know, but I, something's really wrong. You know, but then I look at Colin, and I'm like, he's fine. He was, like, he, he happy. He seems fine. He's happy. happy. He responds, you know, mentally, he was, you know, we had no concerns that way. He was doing everything that you would expect. And I don't remember exactly. He sat down, the doctor sat down, and um, he said, I did not sleep last night because I knew what I had to tell you today. Oh, my God. I mean, no parent ever wants to hear those words. Mm -hmm. And then I don't remember his exact words after that. Essentially, he told us that our son had spinal muscular atrophy. And based on his knowledge of the disease, there's four different types, and Colin would kind of fall into the type 2 based on the fact that as a baby he was healthy, it kind of started a little bit later, um, and that he was going to refer us to the Children's Hospital, which was in St. Paul. And, you know, we asked a few questions, and I remember um, Travis asking, well, what does this mean for him? You know, you're saying this is extremely severe, but what does that mean? He's like, well, his basically extreme muscle weakness, the motor neurons, basically have partially died off how your brain and your muscles communicate. That's what happens because there's a missing gene, SMN1. He's missing that gene, which means he has this disease. Okay, well, what does that mean for him? He's like, well, it can mean a lot of different things. But since he has been somewhat healthy to this point, he should do okay long-term, but we don't know. He did not give the diagnosis like I've heard a lot of other families get where he will only live to be two years old or 10 years old. He never did tell us that. Thank God. Cause I don't know what we would have done that day, but, um, he said he will be in a new wheelchair for the rest of his life. He will never walk unless some miracle drug comes up. And you know, that's really all I remember from that conversation. Well, that's not true. The only other thing I remember from that conversation was that we had Eli with us as well. And he looked at him and he said, I will just tell you that people that I've worked with that have siblings with special needs, he will be an amazing human being. And I don't know why I even, I don't know why I remember that because a lot of that conversation was really, um, you know, once you hear your kid's never going to walk and he has a serious disease, I mean, what do you you know, you can't process all of that. And it, it was a shock. We had no idea. Mm -hmm. But I do remember that. And I will never forget that, actually, because, I mean, from what I can tell so far, he's a teenager now, but he is a really amazing person. He is. he is very caring for his brother and otherwise. So anyway, I just thought, I mean, as he gave us this terrible, horrible news, but then he said something, you know, that was a, a little more uplifting, like, you know, you're going to get through this. It's gonna it was like okay. that glimmer of hope. It was a little bit of glimmer of yeah. hope. And, you know, he probably saw other things, too, that were, he was, you know, he was a very, like, nice, consoling doctor. It was just, he had to give us horrible notes. Mm -hmm. And I don't even, I can't even imagine having to do that. Oh. <laughs> but. And it's one of those, like, I know it, like, it totally changed, rocked your world. Like, it did. It changed everything. everything. And thankfully, you guys, like, where we're at to Minneapolis is, like, far, but not far, far. Right. So then immediately family came up. Yeah. 
Yeah. We didn't call her. We didn't call everyone for a few hours. We waited a little bit. But um, just because we just didn't even know. Obviously, we didn't go to work that day. (laughs) (laughs) You booked it in the morning. We went home. (laughs) But, yeah, I mean, our moms came, like, I think that day or the next day. You know, because we were close enough. And it was just, like, everybody. I mean, our siblings, everyone's. It was just, like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. And what is this going to mean? You know, and it's it took weeks, months to really, really process it and understand it, you know. Mm-hmm. And I do, well, actually, I keep saying I don't remember anything else. But then he also said, don't look on the internet. <laughs> and that's the early days of the internet, too. Yeah. I mean, that was, well, quite a few years ago. 12 years ago. Anyway, so, we and we actually did it for, you know, like two or three days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but then we learned, we started to learn more about it and, um, you know, as time went on, connect with, you know, other people. I connected with this woman who had a son. Um, he was eight at the time, and she was um, a relative of a friend of one of my friends. And they lived there at the time, and he was eight years old. And I got together with her quite a few times. I actually still kind of keep in touch with her because they have since moved. But I met Bryce is his name. I met him for the first time and it was like such a I mean speaking of glimmer helps he was the best kid and he said you know I know because his Kelly told him that you know my son this guy diagnosed and he had this man he's eight but smart Mm -hmm. brilliant you know he goes you know I know it seems really hard but he'll be okay and he will live as normal of a life as he can he's like I'm I'm a very happy kid that's what he told me. I mean, he was just oh. so wonderful. And I said, okay. And, you know, these are early days in this whole diagnosis and not knowing a lot. I mean, just anything like that was just so helpful, mm-hmm. you know. And then, yeah, I don't know. We just made our way through from there. Lots of ups and downs. And one of the things that I really admire about you is, like, when you have faced these kind of instances in your life, it's like you took – you did stay off the internet for like two or two three days. days. I mean, probably two days. But then you like dig in and you find out like you don't just read everything and get like a doom and gloom. Like you dig until you find an answer or a connection or a support group or something. Yeah. And I think that was like when you could get connected with like Kelly and mm-hmm. their family or Families of SMA, that organization mm-hmm. that is yeah. now Cure SMA. Like those were really important steps. To not only give yourself, I would imagine, a little hope and, like, understanding that, you know, it's all going to be fine. Like, that is also important, I think, in the advancements that have been made for kids that have SMA. Because I look at, like, being connected to Cure SMA and, like, spoiler alert, Amanda then got involved and hosted events and fundraised, like, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And... Okay, I'm speeding through and giving away all the fun stuff. But what I admire about you, in short, is, like, you take action. And I think that's so, so cool. I mean, when you're given um, something like that, it's either you feel sorry for yourself and your kid, or you just take the approach that, you know, this is real life. This is what it is. And, you know, we're going to have probably some really hard times. But there's a lot of good. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that Colin having SMA has been actually one of the biggest, biggest blessings 
for all, for of, all us. of us. Not just Travis and I and the boys, but everyone, our parents, our siblings, or, you know, you don't think that, and I would never, ever wish it on someone, but it's true. It's changed the way we thought about a lot of things, and, I mean, from people, not necessarily what you think about, like, people with disabilities, but how you treat them sometimes, mm-hmm. you know? One of our biggest things with Helen has always been to give him the most quote-unquote normal life, mm-hmm. you know? Like, what can he do, even if it's different, that makes him feel like a, just a normal kid? And I would say if you ask Colin, you know, he's 12, so he's a little grumpy sometimes, but <laughs> he's he's a happy kid for the oh, most yeah. part, you know? And he feels like he's included, and he feels like he gets to do... You know, he doesn't need to do everything he'd maybe love to do, but most of the time, he doesn't care. He's happy. He's so awesome. He is, like, just, if I think of a 12-year-old, well, he's always been, and I don't know, like, which came first, if it was, like, him, like, always being this way, because he couldn't talk at the time of diagnosis or anything, but, like, he's just such a wise old soul. He is. He always has been. (laughs) He loves, he's 12, but he loves coffee. He loves he loves to gamble. Um, <laughs> watches more ESPN than a 45-year-old man. When he was five, he would read the newspaper. <laughs> Not five, probably. Probably seven or, you know, he could really read. I'm just like, what is happening right now? Oh, what? but he just, like, you can talk to him about anything. He's very, like, just lays it out on the table, tells you how it is. And when you talk about, like, how it's been so good for all of us, like, people in the community love him. And, like, I remember if I can get you to tell this story about when he was invited to like be part of the baseball team, there was something there, wasn't there that he was like, did he sign up for the baseball team first? And then, well, they asked him because he, I mean, also somebody that loves, knows more about sports than, you know, most people that probably play. He is one of those, but, um, I think he kind of asked or he showed interest. And I mean, this is the kind of community we live in is they, asked him if he wanted to be part of the baseball team like so we go to it's a tournament team so we go to every tournament and obviously he doesn't play a lick but he is a part of the team in every way there is and they never treat him any differently and it's fantastic because it's not just the kids it's the culture I mean it's everyone Mm -hmm. they just they don't think of him any differently I mean obviously they can't put him in the game but they ask his opinion. <laughs> and he's, Occasionally. he's there every... And he, he loves it because it's a normal thing for a kid to want to do. And he gets to be a part of it. And it's, you know, sometimes there's other things for him to do as a kid with SMA that has disabilities that he maybe would have the opportunity to do, but he doesn't necessarily pick that because he wants to do things that his friends at school do, mm-hmm. you know? And that's a good thing, I think. I mean, I it's great both ways because Helen feels like he's just like everyone else. And the kids learn. I mean, every single one of his friends has a better understanding of, you know, being a friend with someone that has isn't built the same way as them, you know, and they're fantastic with him. And I think it gives them that emotional understanding and also some of the understanding of like things we could improve like easily mm-hmm. in the world. like. Mm-hmm. I think about it every time I open a door that doesn't have a button. It's like, mm-hmm. how would Colin go through this door? Like, what the hell? Let's yep. get this fixed. Or yep. like sidewalks. 
Like there's just so many little things I did take for granted before. That you never think about. It was a direct, mm-hmm. yeah. And then now it's like you notice these little things in ways that we can make yeah, it easier. Make it easier for everyone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's true. Um, so Colin's part of the baseball team, the football team, the basketball team. And then one of his favorite things every year is going to camp, yep. which is MDA camp Yes, um, at Camp Courageous, which you are the president of the board for. So I feel like this would be a good time. Can you tell us a little bit about your involvement with Camp Courageous? Maybe tell us about what MDA camp is and how that has helped Colin over the years. Okay. Um, So Camp Courageous is, you know, if you're not from, you know, Eastern Iowa, is a camp for people with disabilities of all shapes and sizes. They take kids for you know, during the summer months for weeks, or they have respite on weekends. And it is the most incredible facility. It started from nothing almost pretty much in the 70s, I believe, with a very small group of people. And just more and more people over the years have come to know about it and learn about it. And it's grown. And uh, I don't even know what year we were obviously living here. But a neighbor, family friend of ours, um, who has on the board at Camp Courageous for many, many years and still volunteers tremendously there, but wanted to resign from the board and asked me if I would want to take his place. So I thought about it. And it was, I think, the year before Colin went to camp for the first time, because MDA camp, you have to be, I forget the ages now, six to 17, something like that. He had, he had not gone yet. So anyway, I ended up saying yes. So I've been on the board since then. So that involves going to a meeting once a month. You know, I help out at the events. Someday I tell myself I'm going to help out there a lot more. You know, but I just, you know, my kids are young yet. And so, you know, but it is just, if you are there anytime when there's campers there, just watching the counselors with the campers um, and all the things they get to do, it's it's amazing. I mean. It doesn't matter what your ability is. You get to zip line. You can climb a tree. You can ride on the train. I mean, go fishing. I mean, it is really endless. The pool. I mean, there's just endless things to do. So, um, yeah, I've been on the board quite a few years. This is my second year as the chair, president, whatever either the title is, um, which I'll be done with in the spring. You know, and obviously we're in 2022. The last two years have been. A challenge, but camp is over these last 40 years, 50 years, whatever it is, 50. There's so many people that know about it and are so generous that it's made it through fine, you know, and thankfully, because it is, you know, a gift to so many people. If you go on their website or get their courier as their newsletter, you see quotes and testimonials from parents or the campers about their experience there and they just get treated like everyone else. And that's what people want. People want to be treated just like a typical human being, you know, it doesn't matter what your abilities are. Mm-hmm. Just want to be loved mm-hmm. and they are always loved there. And it's been a wonderful thing. And he started going to, so MDA camp is sponsored by muscular dystrophy association, which SMA is, um, they, you know, help families with SMA in addition to muscular dystrophy. So 
So MBA week at camp is when MBA comes in and they bring a volunteer for each camper and they just have the most incredible week. Like what they get to do and the experience they have, it's just, I mean, obviously I've never been there, but from what I'm told and the pictures I see is magical. Oh my gosh. I love that parents aren't allowed. It's just like, you know, parents got to leave at the door. (laughs) Yeah. You leave them. You You leave them on Sunday night and you pick them up on Friday and it is, I don't think about it so much now because Colin's older, but that first year, it was awful. There, he was six. It's like, see ya, here's my son and all of his equipment, you know. At that time, did he have, so he has Reagan, who is like a great friend of the family, was like a long-term, I don't, I don't want to call her like a babysitter. She was more, she's like a right. sister almost. Right. Was she with him at that first camping experience or was it later on? She was there um, the first year. Was she? Gosh, I'm trying to remember. I'm pretty sure she was there the first year. I'm almost positive, yes, because I think it's the only way I got him to go. Because Reagan was going, because he was very nervous about it. Mm-hmm. He was a, he's much less of a homebody now than he was when he, when he was six. It was like, my mom and dad take care of me. Mm-hmm. And occasionally, my grandparents or aunts and uncles when my mom and dad can't be home for the night. But it was like, you know, it was a big deal. Mm-hmm. But Reagan being there helped. And so she was there two or three years with him. And then since then, he's had, you know, random counselors. But they haven't had it because of COVID the last two years. So this year, he'll get to go back. They're having it this year. And seriously, like, when you go to the website or their Facebook page and you see pictures of camp, it's just like everybody has the biggest, goofiest smile on their Mm -hmm. face because they're just there to have fun. It's just happy. Oh, my gosh. They're just so happy. You can't look through those pictures and not get teary-eyed because it's so awesome. It's a wonderful place. Okay. And I... I'm trying to like be time efficient. We have so much to talk about. Um, you also, so camp has been a big part of your life. There have been three small heroes, mighty cause events that you and your friends and family have planned and hosted in Cascade um, because you saw a need for a fundraiser for SMA mm-hmm. specifically. So can you tell us a little bit about your idea to host this event and why you chose to just do it yourself? Uh, let's see. I don't know. I, I, I am someone that I feel like I always have to do something. Mm-hmm. I can't just be, you know, my son has this disease. It is what it is. Hopefully other people will take care of it. Not that I was going to fix anything, but I felt like there was things maybe I could do. And I know from growing up in Cascade, and then, you know, living here as adult, that the people here are so giving. With their time, their money, it's it's incredible when you are someone that, you know, maybe I don't want to say lucky because a lot of times it's a less ideal situation that you might get some of that love and generosity, but it's amazing the people that'll show up. So I don't recall exactly why I decided to do a 5k I don't really remember at all I think it was maybe just because that's what a lot of other people did with Kirasame actually the very first event we went to was in Minnesota before we moved 
Um, and it was like a 5k. So I think I probably got the idea from that. And I just thought, you know what? I mean, even if I raise a thousand dollars, who cares? We'll just get together. And of course I wanted to make it, I mean, I'm not a runner. I'm a 5k boo. No, <laughs> but how can I make it fun? Let's have it at night and have a band. That'll be more fun. <laughs> and we so, have t-shirts. And we have t-shirts. So, I mean, it was a win-win. So, you know, the first year it was, uh, you know, a lot to figure out and learn how to do and map out a 5k and, but I wanted to have it. We have this river parking cascade that's really beautiful with this beautiful amphitheater. So obviously I wanted to have the music there. So I had to begin and end there. It was just a whole, you know, and figuring out food and, but guess what? I had plenty of help yeah. and <laughs> it was amazing. And I mean, I can't remember the first year how many people showed up. I think it was like probably three, three to 400 mm-hmm. that showed up for the 5K. It was just absolutely magical, actually. Yeah. And Colin was young, a lot younger at the time, too. And he just, and he would still think it's amazing. But, you know, at that age, he's just like, why are people, all these people are here because it's me, you know, and it's for my cause. And, it was just wonderful. And then we did it again two years after that, and it was even better. And then we did it again two or three years after that, and it got better. So I think, yeah, we've had, I've had three. I was just trying to, I was three or four. I know. I was trying to go back in my mind. I I remember it by the shirt. years, obviously, because of, you know, did we have two white t-shirts or one white t-shirt? Because we had the white, the gray, and the blue. Okay. So there have (laughs) been been four. four. Yeah. There's been four. Because, yeah, okay, so, yeah, anyway, it was, it was actually wonderful, like, we just loved it, it was so fun, it was fun to plan, especially after the first year, once we had it down more, and um, having the event, and just the, some of the people that show up, wow, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, it's just wonderful, and people just, they just care so much, and we raised over, it was well over, I wish I had the number exactly, I'd have to look back, but. Between our four events, we raised probably between one hundred and thirty and one hundred fifty thousand dollars total. So it's been very worthwhile, very much so. Yeah, it just—it's overwhelming the people when you see the people come in and you're seeing the you're totaling the numbers. It's just like, holy shit! Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) it's amazing. So I want to say the first year was maybe around twenty five or thirty thousand, but then the next year it was like forty five to fifty, and then. After that, it was, yeah. I don't, it, Consistently it, it, in the 40s. Yeah, it was really amazing. Really amazing. And the cool part about that is that in the time between the first event and the fourth event, so much progress was made in yes. SMA. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk a little bit about how SMA's diagnosis and impact on families has changed since Colin received his versus families who have that diagnosis now? hmm so when Colin was diagnosed in 2010, there was two or three things in the pipeline that could maybe come to be as far as medicines or drugs. When he got diagnosed, there was literally zero, zero things for him, except for just managing his care. And the like numbers of like, it's staggering. Like what we had never heard of this really, but then looking at the numbers of like how prevalent it was was really shocking to have no treatment. Yeah, there was nothing. And Colin's considered a type 2, so he's a little bit stronger. But kids with type 1 20 years ago, they didn't 
are they ever make it to be two year, one to two years old? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's come a long, long way between the managing of the care and then since Colin's been diagnosed, there's been three treatments now. Um, one is what Colin gets is called Spinraza, which is a lumbar puncture injection. He gets it every four months. And he started getting it in 2017. So it's been a few years now. But we saw a lot of new things come from that. You know, he's it's not going to help him walk or anything like that. But the things that it's allowed him to do that you don't really think of is amazing. So, I mean, it's been wonderful just for him. But that now, if a child is screened at newborn and they receive it, a lot of times they have zero symptoms. They grow up to be the physical abilities of just anyone. And so there's that, there's Spinraza. There's another one called Rosdazaplan, which is a daily med you can take. It's similar to Spinraza as far as how it works. And then there's the other one is called gene therapy. And basically what it does is replaces the gene that's missing. But it has to be given before they're two years old. It might not even be two. It might even be younger than that. And that just got proved within the last two to three years. But, I mean, it's incredible. Getting a diagnosis now is not even close to the same thing as it would have been. Not that it's not tragic and hard to hear. And there's options. Mm -hmm. There's some quote-unquote solutions. It's not just, you know, I can't even tell you how many families I've talked to where they were told, take them home and love them because they're not going to live. You know, and it's just not that. It's just not that anymore at all. Which is a great, like, yeah, all these drugs help so much. And I do think like the newborn screen, like, yeah, that's so important. It's essential. Because it never used to be on the newborn panel. Mm -hmm. And now it is. Is it national or is it still state by state? State by state. And I I just saw, I wish I had a better memory. Um, I just saw another one go. How many states? It's over half, but it's like state by state. It's it. We're getting there, mm-hmm. but you know it's so important because if it's not caught when they're young and before their symptoms, then then there's damage done. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you catch it before there's any damage done, then it basically keeps things from happening. It's amazing it's to amazing. watch like the videos of families on YouTube who mm-hmm. get the diagnosis. They have some of these treatments available, and a year later they. Mm-hmm you would never know that this was an SMA child. Yeah. There's a family that I am friends with just on Facebook. I don't know her well, but she actually has three kids with SMA and her older two kids are probably 10 and above. So they are in wheelchairs. And then she has a son that is maybe a year old now. And obviously she got him tested immediately and he had it. So he got gene therapy and he is just, you would never, ever know. It's amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think Small Heroes has so much because of the fundraising, the generosity of people. Like that money went right towards these fundraising. All, like, of, our, all of the money we raised went directly to Care SMA, which most of their money goes to research. Or like one of the Strong Foundations and another SMA, like that we've given, we've actually given money, a lot of money to them as well. Not necessarily from Small Heroes, but otherwise. And it's like, it's directly to research. So I love it's that. made a huge difference. And you know where all that money came from? Families. Mm-hmm. Families raising the money. Because it's their kids and, you know, it's it's a strong motivation. 
And it just shows that people have the, you can do this. It seems like if we would have been told at the very first small heroes planning meeting, like you're going to go on to raise a hundred thousand dollars. What would you have thought? No, (laughs) I would have never thought that. But it happened because of the generous people Mm -hmm. and people on your planning committee who cared and stuck through it. And there's so much. And they make the connection that this can actually make a difference. Mm -hmm. Even if it's for one person, Mm -hmm. it's a huge difference. Life changing actually. Yes. For a lot of people. For a lot of people. Yeah. And the most recent Small Heroes, which was like, was it 2018 or 2019? Probably 2018. Mm -hmm. Like some of these therapies had already been in process, but there was a local cause that was in the works. Yeah. um, But it wasn't all the way to fruition because they were still fundraising. But it was a huge quality of life project for local kids. Can you speak a little bit about why you guys donated to that cause and what has resulted. So the, it was a miracle ego of Dubuque and they were fundraising for a um, park in, in Dubuque that it's an organization for kids of, you know, all abilities really, but it's, you know, based on, um, you know, maybe some kids with disabilities to play baseball. And Colin is, as I said, loves, loves, loves sports and baseball. And, um, so it really spoke to me. Another woman from town was someone involved in the project and asked me if I would be interested in talking to the planning committee. And I just thought, you know, this is a cause that is here. You know, mm-hmm. it's not just sending the money away that, you know, this is something we can see. And so we raised, it was over $40,000 for that too, for the Miracle League. And it is now there and open and it's amazing it's a beautiful place oh my gosh and in the warm weather months like people are I'm always getting snaps from like my friends and like that they're there playing and it's the most beautiful part it is it's so beautiful and because we were involved in that Colin actually got to go to this Miracle League World Series in Sioux City a few years ago now and so it was kids from all over the country honestly that came to play baseball and it was so fun <laughs> I so fun not quite as competitive as Colin wanted it to be but he, he loved it loved it mm. so I can still see in my head like a video of him at bat and oh, yeah. going to first base oh, like, it was so fun <laughs> it was so fun to watch so oh. yeah good times oh it's all great and yeah. I wanted to share that with listeners because it's like this this podcast is all about small towns and sometimes we can be like pigeonholed thinking that it's a small town I can't achieve x y or z but you can yeah you actually I think you can achieve more Mm -hmm. in a small town because you have more connections you have more people you have more things that really make a difference to more people that you're really close to physically and you know it's just you can make a big difference I agree it's really important so I have like 10 million other questions on this list, but we are at 45 minutes. <laughs> so we're going to have to do a part two at some point. But um, we could take this in a million different directions. But maybe we just kind of make this episode all about Colin and okay. SMA. That'd be um, so can you tell us before? So we'll wrap up with a couple questions and then we'll go into the small talk round. Okay. Um, but can you tell us a little bit about Colin's health recently? like? We talked a lot about how things are improving for kids with SMA, 
but there are still some challenges and some like health issues that they have throughout their life. So can you tell us a little bit about how Colin's doing currently and anything like that? Colin's been doing amazing, actually. Um, so he went through, when he was younger, he went through quite a bit of time where he was um, really sick. Like, he had a lot of respiratory issues, which is a common issue with SMA. And um, he was actually technically malnourished. So, you know, we did a lot of things to turn that around. Um, partially the doctor telling me what to do and partially me being who I am and advocating. advocating. But he's turned around tremendously and he is very, I mean, I would say overall very healthy right now. He, um, just had a huge surgery in November. He had a spinal fusion because it's very common with, um, SMA for people to have scoliosis. It's actually almost 100% of the time they have scoliosis. Um, so he's had, he had rods put in, in, he had them for six years, these growing rods, magic rods, they're called and then he had outgrown them, so it was time to either put more of those in or do a permanent fusion. And so we chose that. So it was one final surgery. So, you know, the last two to three months have been him trying to get back to normal, but he is getting there and he's honestly doing really well. It's So that's been the biggest thing. But other than that, he has been doing really well. I mean, just little things that you know, you wouldn't necessarily think about, um, like as far as his contractures and stuff like that, that is just from part of being in a wheelchair, but like how he feels physically is really good. He's been really healthy. He, and he's like a healthy weight and he is, eats normally and talks normally and goes to school normally, you know, I mean, he is the last few years, he's been doing really well. So it was a long, there's been times where it was really long with him, you know, his health has been a roller coaster, but you know, he's been doing really well. And Spinraza has made a huge difference. Mm -hmm. I think it's helped him gain weight and just be more sturdy and how he's sitting. And you know, that all makes a difference with how he feels. Mm -hmm. And I know I told you this last time you were over, but like the way he just holds himself in conversation, just floors me I love it I love him talking to me about like his college plans oh and I know his... he's 12 and seventh oh grade and he's like well if I go here for school, for college and like no you could just live with your mom forever oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know I think though I, I've always I thought this for a long time about Colin is when he was younger like he got a wheelchair when he was two okay well what he did until then he sat and he listened that's all he could do he couldn't move. He couldn't, he was, there's been so many times in his life, I think, where he's just observed. And I think it's helped him to be more intelligent probably, but you know, I don't know. I think it's just given him a different outlook on life and probably grown up faster than he should because he just listens. He's, you know, he just is observant. That's really, has been. Yeah. And I think it's partially because of his physical limitations more so when he was younger and having a lot of adult conversations or being involved in a lot of adult conversations at the doctor's office. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's just always been a part of it. So you know, that's just my take on it. That's really, that's probably very true. Yeah. He's had to observe a lot mm-hmm. in his lifetime, but at the same time, like 
we could talk about this forever and talk yeah. in circles. But yeah, he's had a lot of opportunities and he's like, he's so, him and Eli are just both such good kids and turning into great young men. Jeez. So weird. Okay. We're going to have to have you back for a part two because like you might think that this is all of Amanda's story, but it's not. Um, So we could have talked about the business. We could have talked about women in agriculture. We could have talked about your health and Mm -hmm. the different things you've experienced. But we'll just have to save that for an extra episode if you agree to come back. (laughs) So in the meantime, um, where can people follow you or your businesses? Um, I wouldn't really follow me. I'm not that exciting when it comes to social media. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm Amanda Schlemmy. If you want to friend me, you can, I'll maybe accept you. Um, <laughs> but you know, you can follow us at the Bail Barn, which is um the part of our family business. Um, Two Gingers Tavern and Eatery is you know the restaurant slash bar. I think that's really good. So, like, as far as being on a public profile. We will, um, yeah, at the next episode, we'll talk about, like, you moved back to town. Then we'll talk about how you decided to start businesses, Mm -hmm. stuff like that. Okay. So, yeah, they can follow, listeners can follow us there and then get, like, a sneak preview. Okay. (laughs) Um, Okay, time for the small talk round. This is all unprepared questions that just pop into my head, and they really have no rhyme or reason. Are you ready? Sure. Okay. Uh, Number one, what's your social security number? Just kidding. <laughs> All right. Real question number one. Do you one. want me to tell you yours? Tell you, too. <laughs> you know <what? laughs> All right. So, number one, Amanda and her family are doing something very exciting. They are building a house this year. What are you most excited for when you go from current home to new home? Oh, a mudroom? Mm. Um, I mean, the biggest thing is for again um, back to Colin which my whole life doesn't revolve around him but just this episode, <laughs> just this <did>. episode. <laughs> um is like the space for him to have um his bedroom and a bathroom like all closed because the house we live in now is it works okay but it's not ideal and there's a lot of like shifting and jacking around we have to do to make it work and he's getting bigger so it's getting harder mm-hmm. so we need a lift and we need it in his room and so that's what I'm one of the things I'm most excited for in the water in the laundry so room nice. that's not connected basically connected to my kitchen and I that, mean there's a million things <laughs> that's just, I thought you were gonna say your front porch oh well that too that's yeah I'm pretty excited for that so too. many things so many things yeah <laughs> we'll have you for a third episode like yeah. how to plan your new home build <laughs> <laughs> All right. Ready to pay a lot of money. <laughs> <laughs> Question number two. So Eli is your oldest son, and mm-hmm. we didn't get a chance to talk much about this, but in the next episode we will. He has been helping out a lot on the farm, mm-hmm. and he is technically the first of the fourth generation of Knuth Farms. So what's been something cool about like having Eli in a farm operation? Um, I mean, as his mom, it's just he's actually, he really loves it, loves it. And he doesn't, he's not there maybe as much as he wanted to be. He doesn't get to do all the things he wants to do as a 14 year old, (laughs) but he really does like it. And he loves, he loves working with his uncles, loves it. And, um, I just think it's wonderful to see a younger kid care so much about farming Mm -hmm. because it is so important. And, you know, lots of people say they love farming, but like to actually do the work is a different thing. So as his mom, I think 
that, I mean, I'm just proud of him that he cares so much, you know, as his employer, um, <laughs> I think he's got a lot to learn, but no, it's he's great. He's doing great. He is. I mean, it's good to have him around and it's good. It's good to have, you know, and we'll see as the rest of the kids grow up, but it's just great that, I don't know, it's great that there's a want and a desire to mm-hmm. be interested in it. So, uh, his uncle who lives in this house <laughs> said he does a very good job cleaning out feed bunks. He was so impressed. Oh, really? Night, yeah. Oh, he said that's good. he took it upon himself to like, go get an extra like scraper to like get stuff both busted up out of the bottom. He's like, that was so good. Good. I was like, well, I'm glad to hear that. Good for Eli. Cause I'm not always on there there when he's actually working. So I just wonder, but I was telling him like, don't take it easy on him just cause he's family. <laughs> just cause I mean, it's just, just cause you know, he's one of our kids. Doesn't mean you can't be hard on them. Gotta be boss. <laughs> All right. Question number three. If you could go eat dinner anywhere, where would you pick? Because I know you love going out to eat. Oh, God. It just depends on what I'm in the mood for. <laughs> I mean. Let's say you're back in Minneapolis. Where would you go? Oh. Well, if I wanted Thai food, I would go to Chiang Mai Thai. If I wanted a good steak, I'd go to Manny's. Um, there's this other place downtown called Zalo that I loved there that's more Italian pizzas kind of place um the locals where I always used to love to eat lunch I mean I can't pick one (laughs) I knew that would be a tough question yeah no I can't pick one all right question number four what was your first job was it on the farm or was it somewhere else um I guess I never really thought about I mean I obviously always did did help on the farm some never necessarily like Ryan did when I was growing up it was more um you know like with forage and stuff I always did and I helped out randomly but I didn't really thought about it as my job uh, my first like paying job that I had was at actually I had two right at the same time one was at Weber Metals and I did like filing and paperwork just for a couple hours after school and then I got a job at Onward Bank Trust, and I was a teller there. And I helped a teller in bookkeeping and everything. And I actually worked there two or three years, like in the summer in college. And so yeah, it was a good experience. I love hearing first job stories. Yeah. Um, okay, last question. COVID is over. Travel restrictions are all the way lifted. Where would you and Travis go if you could go anywhere? Or without Travis, if you wanted to, like, go with your sisters. <laughs> or we could do both. We could leave the men at home. <laughs> well, I actually, we were just talking, Travis and I were just talking about, not that long ago, how we really want to go back to Hawaii. Because mm-hmm. we were there for our honeymoon, and absolutely loved it. So, I mean, there's lots of places I would love to go, but I know that that is somewhere I want to go back to. Because it is amazing. Love it. Yeah. We want to go, too. Maybe we could, like... Meet up, Paul We could have a business meeting. <laughs> yeah, there we go. I like that idea. Thank you for being here, Amanda. I appreciate you sharing part of your story with us today. We'll have you back again. Okay. Thank you, Molly. Hey there. Thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience. 
over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small Minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.